So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Cheers. Let's do it. Oh, hey, Michael. Oh, hey. How you doing today? Great. We got the Oscars. Uh, you're gonna tune into them, or? I think I will be watching them. What about you? Uh, probably not. Probably Gonna not. skip it? Probably gonna maybe turn the, the tweet mute off for the Oscars mm. just for today. Then turn it right back on after, and then I'll just get the Twitter feed update about who won and uh in a fraction of the time go like that yeah maybe if i know when the cinematography is on i'll tune in just for that so that they can know that that's all i care about there you go (laughs) i like that strategy uh we got some first impressions today we got tilda swinton's the souvenir we got jordan peele's twilight zone great stuff where do we want to begin that's what i was about to ask you oh why thank you let's start with the souvenir Terribly complicated. Beth, you're, you're a thief! Anthony, you stole my stuff! That's exactly how you make me feel. You're lost, and you'll always be lost. You've changed quite a lot since you came. The most important thing about learning is that you grow. Do you like her? She looks sad. I think she looks determined. I'm very much in love. Well, Michael, that is the trailer for Souvenir. What do you think? Well, I've heard really good things after it premiered at Sundance, I believe. It may have premiered elsewhere, but that's where I became familiar with it. I'm not going to lie. Had I not known that it had received really good reviews, I don't know that it would have um, been high on my radar from the trailer alone. Um, Except that I think I trust uh, Tilda Swinton to choose interesting projects. Yes. Um... So but that is there's something. a little bit of bias with her just trying to elevate a film that her daughter's in. True. Yeah. Uh, fair point. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm intrigued because of the critical praise. Um, I am just interested to see, you know, what is going to make it distinctive. It looks um, not terribly unexpected, just from the look of it to me. But, um, yeah, there's clearly uh, more going on, given the uh, the love for it. Yeah. Um, I'm really not that familiar with the plot. Um, had you read much about it in advance? None. None? None. Yeah. <laughs> Going in blind. What do you think? Um, it's somewhere between Brooklyn and Carol. Brooklyn, mm. I like. Carol, I don't. But, it, mm. you, you know, it's it's got a classy tone to it. Very Some classy. Some of the, um, those canal shots, I was like, mm. okay, okay, okay. That looks nice. That looks nice. I mm. don't know Joanna Hogg off the top of my head, but her name is very familiar to mm-hmm. me. So just that familiarity by name, even though I can't think of her projects, has me leaning towards like there's probably going to be some narrative conceits that are are going to be strong, especially mm-hmm. during the praise that it's getting. Yeah. Um. But Richard Aote, uh mm. popping up as who appears to be a uh, kind of uh, homosexual, um, mm. maybe uh, buttressing character mm. in this is delightful. He is one of my favorite character actors. He brings a certain levity and comedy to anything he touches, whether he's directing or whether he's acting in like the IT crowd and, and mm. stuff like that. So um, I am mildly hopeful, but 
I think I was expecting more. Mm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, Richard Aoyote. Yeah. Is that his name? You said he directed Submarine and what was the other the one? The Double you with Jesse Eisenberg and Neil Wasikowska. Ah, I have not seen either of those. Um, I've always been intrigued by the double. Um, and, uh, yeah, he looks, uh, he looked, uh, uh, like an interesting character. Yeah, delightful. Um, his, uh, his hair is kind of permed and afro at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think that he had, like, a white streak in his hair. Yeah. Had yeah, a, had nice a very flare. dainty affect. It was very pleasant. Most definitely. Yeah. Strong cast, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm eager to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah. Uh, this is releasing in the spring, or... I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, they're probably going to keep seeing how the reviews go and then release it in November if they can. Yeah, let that praise snowball. Well, uh, let's get over to Jordan Peele's much-anticipated revival of the anthology series, The Twilight Zone. Let's do it. Life sometimes goes like you don't expect it to. What did you do to me? Turn it off. This is real. All right, we just watched the trailer for Jordan Peele's The Twilight Zone. A reboot? A revival? Something like that? One of those rewords? A continuation of the anthology, perhaps? Hard to say. It's like reimagining, is is what it said. Are you Um, excited? I'm eager, but I'm not overly anticipating it. Uh, there's a lot of people that I knew would want to be in this project that I saw in this project. Mm. Sometimes that's good. Some Like with a Quentin Tarantino project, that's never bad. Mm-hmm. With something like this where I don't think Jordan's proven he can run a TV show as an executive producer that's a serious drama. Mm. <clears throat> as much as I love Key and Peele and there's a proven track record there he was performing as well and i am slightly worried when i see this many different actors that would want to be attached to this maybe doing what's called fan service Mm. and maybe being a little bit greedy and just fulfilling their own dreams like kids Mm. that always wanted to be in star wars rather than having a whole vision uh of what something should be and really bringing something game changing to the table like i think mm. the twilight zone or hitchcock presents originally did in their yeah. anthology format yeah yeah um yeah i expect it to maybe be like probably a little hit and miss for me just depending on who's in and who is the creator behind each episode um i'm not really familiar with any of the the directors per um uh per episode um and who all he's got on board um but um, from the little bit of the Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock presents that I have watched, that was just kind of my experience. Is that the mileage just kind of varies based on um, each individual story. That's just yeah. kind of the nature of an anthology like this for me. Um, I, I think that at this point in time, right now, it's very hard to watch this trailer and not think about Black Mirror. Yes, I would agree. And it didn't give me the vibe that it's doing something original fresh authentic Mm. it just kind of did feel like reimagining like they were Mm. taking old stories and repurposing them the one interesting the the one that actually like pulled me in was the um the asian storyline where he's Mm. wearing the top hat and you you can't really tell if he's a spy or what's going on like Mm. that was filled with kind of a noirish intrigue just in the little bits we saw 
Adam Scott, Kamel Nanjiani, Greg Kinnear, uh, Ali, no, Abby, um, the, the gal from Fargo. I can't remember her name. She's yeah, been in a few Netflix her. projects. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's in the Christina Hendricks um, show as well right now. Um, Good Girls. Mm. It just has me nervous, I guess. Eh. Like, m- maybe we'll do a, a review of one or two episodes and, and yeah. see how it goes. But uh, it's it's probably going to be like a solid three, two and a half with the heart. Not like mm. game-changing beauty. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, The uh, you know, what I think of when I think of the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone, was just how each episode was kind of neatly summarized with, with some little kind of punchline. You know, yeah. the one I always remember where the main character is masked masked the whole episode because she's supposedly horribly ugly and she's undergone some kind of surgery Mm -hmm. to be transformed and when it finally comes off she's beautiful but everybody else looks like a pig all of a sudden and that's what we see beauty is in the eye of the beholder that's what we've learned Um, right and that's your favorite and i can't even think of that episode and my favorite is the one where all the uh all the mechanical things continuously come to life in the house Mm. Yeah, it, that's the thing about Twilight Zone. Like, it's it's that where everyone has their own favorite, and it's yeah. always this. I, I would say that it's almost always one of the greatest short stories that's ever been visualized. And I didn't get the impression, and that might be because of the abbreviated trailer here, that yeah. these are great short stories that are being visualized. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll still check it out. Yeah, fingers just, crossed. I'm just very skeptical. Yeah. Well, we shall see. So we're going to do a little bit of calling our shots here. Kind of a a mini portion of the show that we've uh, never done before. And it's going to be a couple weeks after the Oscars, I guess, when this uh, episode comes out. But we're just going to call our shots on who we think is going to win out of the current nominations. That's right. We'll just... uh... Kind of run through the categories. Um, you want to start with the big ones and, and work down, or do you want to start with some of the small guys? Yeah, let's no. start with the big ones. Costume, makeup, cinematography, basically anything that wasn't going to be televised. <laughs> I'm going to work from just from the bottom of the Wikipedia page for the 91st Academy Awards. And... We'll work our way up. Sounds great. You want me to list these as we uh, run through quickly? Just yeah, so just people are aware of the nominations. Yeah. yeah. All right. Starting with Best Visual Effects. The nominees are Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. You will win, should win. What do you think? Uh, I think Avengers Infinity War IMAX 3D should win Best Visual Effects. Will win is I, I'm gonna go with Avengers Infinity War, even though First Man is very tempting to me. Mm. And always Spielberg is B for both. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think uh, I would go with should win and will win Avengers Infinity War. And you don't even like that movie, nor know, did you see it in but, IMAX uh, 3D. So it, it's it's a technical feat. It is a, it is a spectacle. That's for sure. Josh Brolin is a giant alien. <laughs> that he is. Very large. All right. How about best film editing? We have Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. Thoughts? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't First Man there? Great question. 
what's that movie that was better than all these movies? Oh yeah, if Beale Street could talk. Mm, yes. Why isn't that here? We will. This doesn't we'll make any to sense one. to me. If best film editing means transitions, then I have to go with Bohemian Rhapsody because of mm. just how solid the transitions that were CG transferences were. But mm-hmm. I, I would, I think, probably lean toward the favorite for editing just because mm. it's a nearly perfect film. Mm. Yeah, I think my guess uh, as to what will win will be Bohemian Rhapsody. I think the narrative I've kind of heard there is that people think that the film was kind of rescued by the editing. It I was, would agree. Yeah. Um, like my favorite transition all year is a transition in Bohemian Rhapsody where they're on the tour bus and they start mm. from the back. Oh, yeah, I remember talking about that. They go to the that. front and they zoom out through the windshield. Mm. Yeah, um, and with uh, the director issues it had, I think people feel like it miraculously still was a movie through yeah. the editing. Um, I'd probably go with... Yeah, and I'd probably go with Black Klansman, just some of the cross-cutting between, um, mm. you know, that uh, discussion... Um, between um, the civil rights leader, I'm forgetting who, I'm forgetting that gentleman's name. Kwame um, Ture? I think he was the one who was at, who was presenting earlier in the film. There's the cross-cutting between, you know, the kind of small, more intimate discover uh, conversation in the house and the um, KKK watching The Birth of a Nation. Oh, gotcha. I thought you were talking about when they go to the black rally for Kwame Ture. Right. And I thought that Kwame Ture was the fella in the house who, like, the actual Kwame Ture, I thought, was the person lecturing in the house. Oh, I think, is that right? Yeah, I think it maybe is, like, the real Kwame Ture. Yeah, that's... Gotcha. Yeah, I thought... Yeah, yeah. Not versus the actor playing. Not versus the actor playing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, Just some cool cross And especially the end there with the, uh, when when they're doing that levitation scene Mm. in the hallway against the, um, the burning cross. Great stuff. All right. Best costume design. Would you like to read the nominees? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Panther. The favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, Mary Queen of Scots. What's your choice? Well, I should caveat, I never saw Mary Poppins and I never saw Mary Queen of Scots. For me, it's favorite. Easy choice. Not so easy for me because I'm a little bit torn between The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Just Mm. how much I was always in that world is mm. a curious thing. So mm. I, I think that they definitely deserve a B number mm. nomination. But yeah, Mary, uh, Queen of Scots, is close to none. It's the favorite. Mm. Will win in, should win? The favorite should win. Will win. Yep. I think Black Panther might steal it, but uh, I'll still go with the favorite. I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if they give Black Panther everything that they everything. can, that they can <laughs> yeah. on, on the stuff that people, quote-unquote, don't care about. Mm-hmm. Um, just because that's the movie that's going to be seen by the most people. Yeah. Um, so, the next nomination is Best Makeup and Hairstyling. We have three no- nominations. Uh, Border, which neither of us have seen. Mary Queen of Scots and Vice. You've only seen one of these titles. What do you think, Michael? That's correct. Uh, just from the the look of Border and having not even seen it, it does look like some pretty impressive makeup. I 100% um, agree. I, I think that's uh, possible. I'm a little worried that maybe not enough people have actually seen it. Um, so I would guess that uh, Vice will win for Christian Bale. What yeah. about you? I, I think that Vice will win. 
because of Christian Bale shouldn't win because Amy Adams wasn't nearly as convincing um, mm. in her like neck makeup for her aging and mm. stuff. And I would prefer to see Border win. But Mary Queen of Scots had some really, really special makeup work on Margot Robbie. So I wouldn't be disappointed to see that either. Mm. Um, next. Excellent. Best Cinematography. Cold War. The Favorite. Never Look Away. Roma. A Star is Born. Competitive category. Very competitive. I only recognize two of the names myself. Uh, Matthew Libatique and Alfonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. Do you know the other nominees there? Uh, I am familiar with Caleb Deschanel. I know that's uh, Zoe Deschanel's father. Oh, um, right, right, right. I think he he did some some new Hollywood films in the seventies, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head which ones he did. I would imagine did, he but... also worked on the Twin Peaks when they would have met, right? Or maybe that's not when they would have met. But her mother was on Twin Peaks. That's why I'm. Oh, who's that the mother? Week. Uh. I don't know. I just know that Zoe Deschanel oh. <laughs> is the mother is in Twin Peaks. Oh, got it, got it's it. A, it's a fun fact for those oh. of us that grew up in Washington. Quite a family. <laughs> um, boy, this is actually a, uh, a tough pick for me of what I personally like the best. I think I would probably pick Cold War myself. Very tempted by Cold War. I have to go with Roma. Just thinking about the intro and uh, exit scenes. And a director doing his own cinematography. Um, I, I definitely want to support that, but it should be one of those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if the favorite got that and nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> um, next. We have Best Production Design, Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. Thoughts? Um, well, I know a lot of details about the production design for Roma mm. and for First Man, so I definitely lean favorably towards those two. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about The Favorite, not too much about Mary Poppins Returns or Black Panther, but I just want to not give Disney an award for production design mm. because they don't try <laughs> that hard. They don't deserve these nominations. Yeah. Um, my experiences with Black Panther were not very good, though, visually. I, I never appreciated its visuals Yeah, much. I, uh, I personally would pick the favorite, just uh, the look of that thing as a, you know, 15th century painting just really, Oof. really struck me. Um, will win? Gosh, tough. I'm going to say Black Panther, though. I'm going with First Man. I think that you? you're right nice. with Black Panther, but First Man, I think about those bolts in that sound design and oh, and yeah. it depends on if we say best production design does that take into account the sound editing and the the visual props and and how much are we going to include there i think that first yeah. man really does deserve that well but you're right black panther will mm-hmm. probably take it home in that case moving into best sound mixing we have black panther bohemian rhapsody first man roma a star is born tough it i want to go with roma and mm. Will Win, I'm going to go with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I think Will Win, Bohemian Rhapsody as well. I think the association a lot of people will just make is music, sound, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. Um, I think I personally would go with uh, First Man myself. And Best Sound Editing, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, A Quiet Place, Roma. Ooh, I like this. 
I'm going to say that who will win is Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And who I want to win is actually A Quiet Place. Yeah. Cool to see that on there. Yeah. It, it was like Hereditary. It was a unique uh, viewing experience that was unparalleled all year. Yeah. People, every person that reviewed it on Letterboxd always made a comment about how they didn't know when they were allowed to eat their popcorn. Yes. That's a special movie when you don't know when you're allowed to eat and you care. That was, yeah, pretty uniform. Um, yeah, cool to see that on there. I think I would guess Bohemian Rhapsody again. I'd probably pick first me and myself again. Really? Okay. I think so. All right, let me list these out this time, you, you jerk. Take uh, it away. We got Best Original Song, All the Stars from Black Panther, I'll Fight from RBG, the Place Where Lost Things Go, Mary Poppins Returns, Shallow from A Star is Born, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. What's your pick? Uh, Shallow. Yeah, will win, win, should win, Shallow. What do you think? I think that Shallow will win and should win, but I would like to say that The Place Where Lost Things Go is by far the best song in Mary Poppins Returns, mm. and it's good that they know that that's the best song, just as a group of people. Yep. I'm glad that they're that smart. And When a Cowboy Trades the Spurs for Wings, absolutely deserves to be on this list. Very happy about that. There you go. Next, best original score. We have Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, Mary Poppins Returns, I Don't Have to Ask You. Best thing will win if Beale Street could talk. That's a fact, right? Easiest pick. Easiest pick. No doubt. Scroll up. Moving on. Best animated short film. We have Animal Behavior, Bow, Late Afternoon, One Small Step, and Weekends. What's your pick? I'm going to guess Bow will win, should win. No pick. Haven't seen too many of these. I've seen all of these. My pick is Weekends. Deserves it. It's awesome. It's transformative. It's on Canopy. Everyone should watch it. Boom. Best live action short film. We have Detainment, Fauve, Marguerite, Mother, actually called Madre, and Skin. What's your pick? Haven't seen any of them. I will guess Mother. Why not? What about you? I do like me some Mother. Wrong, <laughs> wrong version, though. Madre. Um, I think... I think Marguerite will win and should win mother is really really tense but if they're gonna go pc and be politically correct and stuff and focus on like racism and stuff i wouldn't be surprised to see skin win even though it's a really disgusting uh portrayal of those issues yeah all right best documentary short subject black sheep end game lifeboat a night at the garden period end of sentence haven't seen any of them. I'll guess Lifeboat. I haven't seen any of them either. I like the statement, A Night at the Garden, though. So I'm going to mm. go with A Night at the Garden, because that just sounds like a nice night. That sounds nice. Lovely. Best documentary feature, Free Solo, Hale County This Morning, This Evening, Minding the Gap of Fathers and Sons, RBG. What do you think? Minding the Gap will win and should win, but... Um, the two other documentaries that deserve really big notice are the documentaries where people risk their friggin' lives. Mm-hmm. Free Solo, less so because he did that by choice. Mm. A Fathers and Sons, more so because that was hard to watch. And he Word. he slowly handed that guy that sniper rifle, 
So I like him because he saved a guy's life. <laughs> Word. Good points. I would say Mining the Gap should win. I'm going to go with the crowd pleaser, RBG. I think, oh, I think she'll steal it away. It is not a good documentary. Mm. Best foreign language film. Capernaum, we're going to get to later. Cold War, Never Look Away, Roma, Shoplifters. What's your pick? I think Roma will take this one. I think you're wrong. I think it's actually going to be Burning, the title that deserves it and was not listed. Ugh, it hurts me to not see it there. Because Roma, to me, is like an American title at this point. Uh, I agree mm. Roma will win, should win. Um, love Cold War, though. It's really stupid that Burning is not in this list. I agree. Shoplifters is good, but it is not Burning. Burning is a work more. of art. <laughs> I, this, this film never look away. I mean, I no comics. I haven't seen it. I'm just fascinated. I don't. I just yeah. I don't know barely how to come see across it. my radar. I love yeah. that last name though, Von Donnersmark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have best animated feature film in The Incredibles Two, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Will win? Should win? What do you got? Spider Man Into the Spider Verse will win. Personally, Isle of Dogs should win. I still very what? much like my Isle of Dogs. <laughs> Trash. <laughs> I love Wes Anderson, but that is not a good movie. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse will win, should win. They built a brand new engine from the ground up mm-hmm. and then made it open source and are sharing that engine with everyone. That is dope. Open mm-hmm. API. Woo! The tech is way up there for me. That story's just uh, didn't do much. Best Adapted Screenplay, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me? If Beale Street Could Talk, A Star Is Born. If Beale Street Could Talk, No Questions Asked. Will Win, Should Win? Will Win, Should Win. Will Win, I completely agree. Or, excuse me, Should Win, I completely agree. Will Win, I might go with Black Klansman here. I don't know, I think this is a tough category. Can You Ever Forgive Me is a real tight screenplay, though. I, I did like it. Um, yeah. But if Beale Street could talk, no questions asked. Great flick. Best original screenplay, The Favorite, First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. <sighs> oh, boy. This is tough for a number of reasons. But for best screenplay i have to go with the favorite Mm, i like it will win and should i should win will win i'm gonna go with green book for vice Mm. yeah for me should win first reformed will win the favorite i was close on first reformed Mm. in that original screenplay but when i think about that original screenplay I don't know that the screenplay was as much at stake with what we get at the end Mm. as the editing and Paul Schrader as a director. Mm. Like, I feel like a lot of his choices with the narrative were made on the cutting room floor Mm. based on his own interviews and what he said um, he he did to the film. Because Mm. that really is a simplistic screenplay. Mm. And I think what it does is very much in the the cinematic language that Mm. Paul's bringing... Yeah. More than the written language of what he wrote down in the screenplay on the page. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's why yeah. I like I really was gravitated towards it, but I'd I'd have to go to him for cinematography. Like to me, mm. his language is just more cinematic than written. Yeah. 
Fair enough. Um, next category. Best Supporting Actress. Amy Adams, Marina de Tavira, Regina King, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, or the actual correct choice, Claire Foy. Oh, just sneaking that in there. (laughs) Nice. I am going to guess that Regina King will win. I think should win. I think I personally probably responded to Emma Stone most uh, strongly myself. What about you? Agreed. Emma Stone definitely is my preference for both. However, I could see Amy Adams winning the award because we're still really, really appreciating her work in Arrival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This could be, uh, it's, uh, she's overdue. A makeup overdue. award? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. That can happen. There's been plenty of makeup awards in Oscar history. Mm-hmm. Um, best Supporting Actor. We have Mahershala Ali, Adam Driver, Sam Elliott, Richard E. Grant, and Sam Rockwell. Who you got? Uh, should win? Sam Elliott, myself, will win Mahershala Ali Green Book. What about you? Should win Richard E. Grant, will win. I don't know. I'm going (laughs) to lean towards Mahershala Ali because Green Book does seem to be doing really well at these um, other popular awards ceremonies. But, I mean, the best supporting actor list here is not even an actor that I've thought about as the best supporting actor all year. Yeah. Strong case. I like it. Best actress. We have Yalitza Aparicio, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Lady Gaga, Melissa McCarthy. And our homegirl, Claire Foy, 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 Foy! <laughs> Foy, Foy, Foy! <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I'm going to guess Glenn Close will win, should win, Olivia Coleman, the favorite. Should win, Claire Foy, 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 Foy! Uh, realistically, though, I would like to see Lady Gaga win this award. Mm. Um, but I think that Olivia Coleman will win it and absolutely deserves it. Yulizia being nominated is awesome. I'm very yeah. happy by that because she she kicked some ass. There you go. Best actor. We have Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, William De- or Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen, Green Book. Foy, foy, foy. <laughs> <laughs> All categories, Claire Foy. Yes. You get me. What do you think? Uh, I mean, my boy, Christian Bale, gonna win it, deserves to win it. I, I like these nominations quite a bit. Um, it's tough for me to go against Mr. Robot, but yeah, I gotta go with Bale. Should win, will win. How about you? I think Rami Malek will win. I think Christian Bale probably should win out of these five. And we both love Willem Dafoe quite a bit. I know. So I'm glad you made it in there, though. Yeah. Best director: Spike Lee, Pavel Pavlowski, or Palakowski. It's hard to. It's hard. It's a tough one. That's a mouthful. G- give me good a break. luck to the give presenter, me a break, folks. I hope they practiced. <laughs> yes, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, Alfonso Cuarón, and Adam McKay. Who you got? I think it is Cuarón's to lose. Um, I personally would probably go with Spike Lee myself. I agree that it's Cuarón's to lose. I don't see Spike Lee winning for this one. I think Lanthimos is a dark horse mm. that I I would not be surprised to win. And I really wonder if they're going to let Adam McKay make a movie and not give him the Best Director Award. So I'm going to say Quaron should win, McKay will win. Ooh, 
interesting. All right. And best picture. We have Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, Vice. If Beale Street could talk. That's my choice. Done. What is that <laughs> not doing here? It makes... Why is it the hostiles <sighs> film on no this, at least? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's just telling that, you know, Black Panther is in here for Best Picture, and yet it's not even nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Or nor, Best Adapted Screenplay. Nor Director. It, what it is a movie? A, it should be Adapted Screenplay, because it is adapted mm-hmm. off the comic book storylines. What is a movie if it's not a screenplay made by a director? And another. <laughs> so, uh, it's interesting. Um, I think it is uh, Roma's to lose. And uh, myself of the bunch? Boy. You know, I really liked Black Klansman. I liked The Favorite. I liked, did like Roma. And I liked The Star is Born. I uh, would probably go with The Favorite at this point. What about you? I gotta go with Roma. Would win. Should win. Um, no problems if The Favorite wins but just thinking like if beale street could talk first man mm. i know i didn't like it but widows oh yeah right we got nothing on here we got widows, burning yeah. like i would rather see burning win than black panther black Klansman, bohemian rhapsody green book a star is born or vice and i liked half those movies didn't like burning but that's a mm. fucking phenomenal film directorially the, I agree. This is just the macaroni and cheese of awards. Like it is. It's uh, it does feel like a money contest to some extent. Um, Private Life. I would have seen. I would oh, have yeah. loved to have seen some some love for Private Life. Um, well, Nicole Hoff Center had a screenplay nomination, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, I thought Leave No Trace might get in there for screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, or Deborah Granick for best director. Absolutely. Yeah, Ben Foster supporting actor. I would have rather seen in in that role. Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's what we are working with. Yep, we didn't pick them. Let's get into Capernaum. Let's talk about a real movie. Yeah, foreign film. Okay, that we had the opportunity to see earlier this week. Yes, we did. Capernaum, directed by Nadine Labaki, if I remember correctly, Lebanese film set in contemporary Lebanon. I responded to this one. I was a fan. I thought it had awesome separate shots. Mm. The thing about it is it, it's called chaos, right? That's that's mm. what it tells us in the beginning. It says that Capernaum or, or Capernaum, mm-hmm. we're both probably not pronouncing it right. Probably it's probably not. like a silent C and uh, overemphasized uh-huh. U or something. <laughs> but uh, it, it opens with giving us these, these great drone shots overhead panning mm. the city. In the roads and the buildings. Mm. And that's awesome. But it doesn't really go on to mean anything to the story. Mm. Besides give Mm. weight to the setting. So at at the end I just didn't feel like all the great visuals that were alluded to. 
necessarily made a cohesive statement, right? But like there, mm. there's a lot of things. Like we go from the fair where he gets off the bus. Mm-hmm. There's the the lights, and he's undressing mm-hmm. the lady, and you and I are both laughing immensely as he exposes her bosoms. He's a kid, yeah, and why not? Uh, and there's lights on these rides, right? And then he goes back with the um, woman from Africa. I can't remember what um, country she's from. Do you want to say Ethiopia? Ethiopia. Oh yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we he goes back with the Ethiopian who had moved to Lebanon and is there mm-hmm. on a illegal visa, forged ID, mm-hmm. um, and her son has these toys that light up mm-hmm. and that entertains him very and, little boy and that little boy is also constantly sucking on his mother's breast mm-hmm. and so there's a clear alliteration attempting to be happening mm-hmm. between the the exposed bosom that we just saw at the fair oh, with the lights in the fair the toys that light up and spin and make sounds and the boy drinking his mother's milk from her breast mm. but it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day it's just great Mm. composition uh, uh, and juxtaposition of ideas that don't make a final statement. Mm. Interesting. I had not thought of that alliteration. Interesting points. Um, I think I did respond better to the camera work myself. Um, yeah, there's some sharp stuff. Yeah. Um, to me, um, you know, I think most of it appears to be handheld. You know, it's kind of, you know, the uh, the classic well, kind of shaky cam. Stuff, right? Right, those establishing shots, yeah. Um, but I think between that uh, handheld camera work, mostly shooting on location, um, and those jump cuts, I think to me all kind of um, conjure a sense of realism that's sort of documentary-like. Yeah. Um, that just brought some authenticity to it that I think I did respond to. Um, and uh, these little actors i mean it's really the one particular actor we're following i wish i could remember his name off the top of my head um was uh was pretty mesmerizing for me i thought he was uh um a real sight to behold um with how much screen time he has great child actor yeah no question yeah yeah reminded me of Haley joel osmond yeah oh interesting yeah um and i think that uh, the the point for me was just um, the process of his mounting frustration and the woman he meets, her kind of um, escalating sense of despair, um, I thought were um, emotionally striking. Um, I think this was uh, had more of an emotional pull for me than an aesthetic one. Um mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough. Um, I think I wish she had maybe the director had been a little more um, restrained with the music um, because to of tell you what to feel. Yeah, especially with how sort of realistic the shooting style felt. Um, some of that more dramatic music felt to kind of go against what she was conjuring visually yeah which is a little more gritty um i just don't think it was necessary and it um you know it's just a little heavy-handed so narratively did you like the setup uh the uh the framing device yes um narrative quote-unquote conceit 
I, I don't. I get the sense that it did not bother me to the same extent that it. Oh, it drove me insane. You. I'm just curious how you responded to it as a viewer. Uh, yeah, I, I was to me not it wasn't uh, that music. I guess it was the music. It was like the music. Mm, gotcha, like it was gotcha. just you're manipulating me. Ah, got it. In, in a way where um, I was like, oh, you're manipulating me, not in the way that Karen Kusama in Destroyer was like. Look over here, look over here, look over here. Illusions, Michael. Mm. Illusions. Well, uh, on one hand, yes, I think that, you know, it is clearly a device for the sake of dramatic intrigue. On the other hand, it at least lets me know that this isn't just an exercise in miserabilism. Like, we are going to arrive at at a place um, that is not just him living in abject poverty i mean he might yeah. he's, he's still kind of there at the end but we, but we kind of know where we're going um instead of just a, it would be a different sort of expectation if i didn't know that and i was just wondering if he's just going to end up dead by the end of this so so my comparison would be to a film in the same category shoplifters mm. where i didn't need to know that the boy was going to be arrested at the end mm. and relocated to a different home that that family would dissolve and the grandmother would die i didn't need to know all that I, I wanted the story to sh- slowly show me. Mm. And I would rather have this story slowly show me its narrative. I would have appreciated it by at least another half a star more if it was just a mm. straightforward narrative that wasn't constantly trying to get me to go, who's he going to stab? Who did he stab? Mm. Who'd he stab? Did he stab the guy down the street or did he stab the, the guy in the, the shop center that sells the fake IDs? Who did he stab? Yeah. Who'd he stab? Yeah. I guess for me, I didn't feel it so much prodding me to wonder who he stabbed the 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 device was more for the sake of you know what could how could a child possibly want to sue his parents for not having been born and you know the purpose of the film is therefore to show us just how frustrated and just baffled he is by the life he has been forced to live um and I think I was okay with the film, um, you know, cueing me to just look for how um, consistently baffling this would be for a kid to have to deal with. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't picture. I can picture that movie. It just feels like a different movie. I don't know that I can decide if it feels like it would be better or worse for me necessarily. Yeah, I, I mean. Just the statement of I'm going to sue my parents for having been born. It was never going to work for me. Mm. It's just, just too like, much. It's just a lazy conceit narratively. Like I would rather mm. have something more specific to the narrative itself. Like I would like to sue my parents for not registering my birth. Mm. I would like to sue my parents for neglect. I would like to sue mm. my parents for manslaughter against my sister. It's broad for sure. Right. Like I, I would like to see a five layered case where there's like mm. a really legitimate case for each of these things yeah and then the proof is how great what's her name tigress the, uh, the, the, the woman he meets woman who he right. spends i'd say almost half the film in his house or shack rather um and that that would like because then it's a revelation of he was shown what a mother is or could mm. be and mm. then contrast that with his own family life in a in a straightforward narrative and then mm. um after doing the right thing which is stabbing that guy that murdered his sister mm. um 
and you know bought her when she was 11 years old and mm. i would say raped her because she's 11 years old so i call that rape oh yeah i would uh, agree and he's an adult so mm-hmm. um yeah it's it's definitely a loaded subject as a lebanese film about child brides and um just that part of the world what the practices are and the customs and how patriarchal that society is in a religious way um yeah. So it's it's definitely tough to just talk about any part of it without devolving into the fact that like I just don't like it's just an icky policy to it's a very icky movie, very icky with that religion to begin with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very difficult to watch at times just because of how uh, uh, inhumane a lot of it is that your um, uh, oh man, when he ties up parents do the with their little kids. boy's ankle. Mm. Oh. It's tough. It's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, for me, maybe uh, you know, it it it's it's just too easy of a gesture. But it it might have just been you know even more difficult to watch had I not known that he was at least going to arrive at a place where he was pushing back against what he thought was bearing down on him so hard. It gave me a at least it gave me a little bit of a sense of hope, um, even if it is just a little bit. Um, of suspense in an otherwise an emotional movie, it told me that we were um, we were going to get somewhere. We didn't have to watch this kid just suffer. To me, it's kind of uh, it. It seemed very fictional, right? Like oh, the yeah. whole film seemed very real, except for that opening where he's like, "I'm going to sue you for being born." That's yeah. like what a four year old would would say. Like it, it has no legitimate merit the way that it's presented totally. as a legal case. Mm-hmm. So if it was something more legitimate, like I'm going and it came at the end and it was like, I'm going to sue you for manslaughter, uh, not documenting me, um, neglect abuse, like all these things that they actually do, uh, yeah. unregistered living environment, like yeah. it, things that he can actually win on. Then I would have been like, fuck yeah, kid, take this family down. They're shitty. Yeah. Um, and, and because that's uh, that would be a microcosm of what you want to see the individuals of that Lebanese society do to the Lebanese society. Because yeah. it's clear that it's a societal, systemic issue of how they treat their people. Because of, of what his father says, like, I'm an animal. You're lucky that you even exist, mm-hmm. that stuff. And yeah. it just, you know, it's hard to separate, like, what we want for these people in this part of the world. Um maybe from the art itself and that's where i'm having a hard time with it Mm. yeah i would completely agree that it is probably just too broad you're like really lawyer like this is really the case you're making it's i yeah the the lack of specificity is um it does ask you to just go with it and uh that might be just a little it might be asking a little bit too much i think that i had to suspend disbelief maybe (laughs) too much at that point and then it was so realistic later that i i couldn't marry the Mm. two ever in my head that's Mm. just a personal problem maybe for me yeah yeah um yeah i could see that and i think i would agree that is probably um a misstep um but um it just overall it didn't detract that much from what the primary takeaway was for me which is just um how sort of maddening it is to see um such irresponsibility yeah um just in the broad strokes kind of in the broad takeaway it didn't it didn't have that much of an impact even though 
you know, it was like, it's a little silly. What about the irresponsibility of nominating this over Burning? That is very irresponsible. Right? But, yeah, here we are. But, like, this is a movie that is okay. I I can't see why it necessarily deserves to be nominated in the same caliber of Roma. Hmm. Shoplifters. I mean, shoplifters I can see, but, like, dude, I don't like Burning, but Burning? Like, what <laughs> the fuck? How is Burning yeah. not not achieving more than this film um yeah i i definitely wonder how they break down that region vote when Mm. i watch something like this and i think this might be one of the only things coming out of the middle east Mm. and i I wonder if they're just kind of going more by continent than country Mm. at this point because right we have roma then we have uh poland for cold war I don't know where that um, Never Look Away is from. And then we have Japan oh, yeah. for shoplifters, right? It's true. And then yeah. we have Lebanon for this. And it's like, are is they this just... a token Middle Eastern entry? Yeah. yeah like, like are, are we just trying to make sure that we cover the big ones so that it doesn't yeah. seem like we're skipping over someone instead of actually supporting the greatest versions of the art yeah. coming out of this community? Yeah, that's where it can seem silly to me to have this discussion about best picture versus best foreign it's like cinema is cinema everywhere right yeah. it's like these it's just don't it has to scale yeah yeah um and i, I think it's just probably the, the emotional appeal of it um over sort of the um aesthetic achievement of of other movies and i think that's probably what shoplifters has going for it too i mean i did like shoplifters but it's also um it you know reaches for your heartstrings yeah no doubt. there's a certain amount of romanticism that might be broadly appealing so uh yeah child actors who's your favorite in this film oh probably the lead guy little zane i really like zane i don't mm. remember his sister's name but i have to go mm. with his sister she broke my heart she did she was great she, a lot of great she little was child actors. really mm. special that scene where she gets her where uh zane wakes up and he notices the blood in the bed and then mm. that whole ensuing thing where he takes care of his sister because he knows what's happening with her getting her period and and how he tries to shield her from the rest of the family knowing so that they won't sell her. That is one of those crucial scenes in this film that is so real and so heartbreaking in the society that when they tell me, I'm going to sue you for being born. It's like mm. a separate reality. And I, I don't know mm. how to marry those two things mm. together. Yeah, as, really specific as things he's dealing with. Film. Yeah. It, it just seemed too unrealistic to me to marry something yeah. so hyper real against something so unreal. Yeah. 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 The, the idea that he is forced to, you know, grow up so fast and become so mature. Uh, you know, he, he talks like an adult and the adults talk to him like he's an mm-hmm. adult. That actually took me a little while to kind of come around to. I'm like, is is he, is it almost just tough to accept that, that a little kid would um, be be spoken to like he is? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's also kind of what this movie is doing is kind of um, seeking to, uh, the director, I think, is trying to, to channel her own anger through this kid while yeah. also giving him a life of his own. And that's where some of that maturity, I think, comes into play and is kind of important for the sake of the movie. I also love those uh, get-the-fuck-away-from-me lines in the alley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was one thing I wasn't 
totally sure about. I want to say in the stretch of like five to ten minutes when they're out selling those little cups of fruit on the street, there's, you know, a stranger who comes up to his sister and starts kind of groping her and she says, get away from me, creep. Um, then he, Zane, goes for a delivery um, as one of his errands or part of his job and the guy to whom he delivers something kind of starts pulling him, pulling him into his apartment and he says, you know, get away from me, creep. And it's like, you know, is is everybody in Lebanon a pedophile? Like, is this being a little over um, exaggerated or something like that? It, well, it's um, clearly not know. everyone because he's surrounded by people and it's mm. like one individual at a time that's doing this stuff. Yeah. And there are yeah. definitely individual creeps in the society. Yeah. And this society specifically um, demeans women and protects men yep. and and is um it, it just has a much higher rate of child abuse and rape than other countries because there is no reliable infrastructure to report rapes to mm. get rape kit testing any of that stuff so yeah yeah i would say that it, it is inaccurate i i would personally say that that's an accurate portrayal of what it would be like for unsupervised children that are gonna get harassed yeah yeah it's fair not easy to watch no, um, that's definitely what makes it hard. You're like, this isn't yeah. real. It yeah. can't be real. I don't like it, so it's not real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, favorite scene personally was probably him in the amusement park. Um, D or uh, unbreasting his. Well, maybe not that ride. specifically. Although it was a nice. That bit was of definitely humor. the moment where um, I, it, I laughed, in just the absurdism. Mm-hmm. of the entire film around it and the fact that it's the ride going around and around and and yeah. that it's like this one thing that he can latch on to um right the, the key word there is latch on to because he yeah. can't latch on to his own mother um yeah in that metaphorical way that, that we mean about breastfeeding like he can't get the nourishment of life from his mother they can't have a conversation she hits him uh yeah. he's always doing something wrong it, it definitely seemed like a fulcrum point to me yeah, yeah. Um, after so much just very obvious cruelty, not too obvious, but things like just the terrible treatment of kids, like that's obviously Kicking emotional. And hitting them in the face. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that obviously is going to provoke a reaction. But the idea of him just being in a place that's supposed to bring kids joy and just looking so kind of like vacant as looking he's spinning for a around on these things. Place. Yeah. Um, there's one shot of the big kind of pendulum ride swinging and it looks like it's about to smack him and it's just it just looks like he's kind of numb to it and that's just you know um it feels a little bit more based in the form itself where um him just walking around this park that's supposed to be sparking joy and leaves him empty oh going with your marie condo god as soon as i said that i was like joy "Mm." as soon as you said that i was like please don't (laughs) sign marie condo Walked into that one. Does yes. your sweater spark joy? Nobody in this movie has followed the Marie Kondo Bible. No, no one's following the Conmary method of does it no. spark joy? Definitely not. But yeah, that's Capernaum. That is I think Capernaum. we're both... I liked watching this movie. I'm really glad that I got to see it in a theater. It's just not in contention with what I think of when I think of the great foreign films. This is a director who almost i would say is like a young nicole holoff center or something where like i'm really excited by the style and the stories that she wants to tell for like a a deborah granick but i don't think that she's hit her narrative stride yet i think she's Mm. definitely got a visual eye 
really keen, but I, I want to see a better narrative story told. It's more cohesive and realistic. Let's leave it at that. Moving on. 4 p.m. yesterday evening, Claire Kempley disappeared on her way home. Claire is 10 years old. I'm a journalist. I'm doing this article about parents of children who have gone missing. Do you feel that the police could have done anything more to have helped you? Yeah, there was one thing. Right, what was that? They could have found my daughter. Yorkshire Ripper's name's in those files. Trust me, we've had him and let him go. There's been another. You don't think she was killed by the Ripper? If she wasn't, that would mean we've got ourselves two Jacks, not one. Who took her? Everybody knows! Everybody! You found out something. The wolf made me. I saw her. She said, we are in hell. Red Riding. The Red Riding Trilogy. In the year of our Lord, 1974, 1980, and 1983, for some reason they avoided the 1970 book. Oh, interesting. Yes, our first, I think it's our first trilogy? It is our first trilogy all in one go. Um, That's right. We watched them in order, naturally. We did. Um, We did see Capernaum after you'd watched the first one, and I insisted Mm. that maybe we stop... (laughs) Because of your reaction to the first one. And you said, no, no, it's it's going to get better, I believe is exactly what you said. And I believe your ratings increasingly went down from that point. I think I have a two, a two and a half, and a two. Okay. They're all kind of in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So well, this was I, uh, rough sledding for you, to say the least. It was rough sledding. I mean, uh, we can go film by, film by film, I assume. Yes, yeah. I, but I, I do think it will be hard to address some things without referencing what actually comes to pass. Yes, this is true of everything, but it is literally impossible to talk about this without spoilers. So yeah. I think you will reference other, the second and third, even as you just discussed number one. If you're only two films in, watch that third one before you listen, because Bail we now. are going to cover from the king guy from Game of Thrones back to the Andrew Garfield and forward and back. That's right. Um, so starting with number one, this is your favorite of the three, correct? Yes, yes. By far my favorite of the three. The compositional layering of the shots and the way that the, mm. the camera was centered and mm. used two-thirds rules and mm. lights uh, and smoke and noir. It just really... It has Rebecca Hall giving a great performance, Andrew Garfield mm. giving a great performance, I'm riding high off under the Silver Lake where he plays a, mm. a fairly similar character. Uh, so, yeah, it, it just teed me up and, and swung me out of the park. And I, I was mm. immensely pleased by its um, offerings. One thing that I was thinking the whole time I was watching this, I don't know if you were, is like, wow, this is a great looking TV film. I did not feel that way. So the disagreement begins. <laughs> okay. So you think as a TV film, it looks bad. As a TV film or a film or as uh, prestige television, which is, is kind of what I would lump it in with, um, I just did not respond to the look of it. Um, Why did it look bad? I thought it just looked too, too drab. Um, kind of a dirty brown and ashy gray color palette that, you know, you could argue kind of is in keeping with the very grim mood, but I cannot say that there was a single shot here that I thought, wow, what a great shot. I, 
I think we just didn't. Well, you were just listing colors. Are you, are you mm-hmm. saying that it's because the setting isn't pretty, you didn't like it? I am saying th- I am saying that there were very few compositions and um, uses of color that struck me as aesthetically interesting. I thought it was mm-hmm. shot in a very plain fashion. I I I thought I thought True Detective looked better to me. Um, well, I would definitely agree that those first two episodes are yeah. of True Detective season three it looked great, but that is specifically because Jeremy Saulnier is a great director. I, I, yeah, I would argue. Yeah. There, there's a scene, um, I think, near the end of this first one. Maybe I, I know that it's multiple times in the second one, where they're entering the prison, and the camera is like four doors back behind wire fencing, but mm. it's zoomed up so that you think that it's only like two layers back, and and a detective mm. or, or Andrew Garfield in this case will walk through the door, and then it'll start mm. zooming back. And that door will close. And then he has to open another door. Or a guard from the other mm. side opens another door and lets him in further. Then it zooms back further. And another mm. guard opens a door and lets him in further. And then there's still another wire grate there. And I thought mm. that that v- visually really communicated what was happening to the people who are being framed in this prison. Is like, mm. it doesn't matter what's true. They're so mm. removed from society. These layers are so built up. Even though you see that you can see through them they're so different mm. and then we see the torture tactics that happen mm. behind these doors and it, you know it's the other thing that i would say about this just randomly yeah. <laughs> is this is um very much true crime like yeah. if you love true crime podcasts if you're digging sword and scale or whatever this series is right up your alley because it is mm. a true crime series where you're yeah. always wondering who's the wolf where are the pretty carpets Mm-hmm. And how many people are going to die before this thing gets blown open? Yeah. And who yeah. did it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you know, not one that I feel like super confident saying is just a bad series by any means. I just don't think it's my kind of series. Um, to me, it's just, it's, um, uh, I think I think each, each entry um, suffered from this for me in, in that it's just too excessively plot focused i feel like even with um film one it's within five minutes that we're hitting plot beats about who's who and and um what's happening and i just felt like there was never much time for me to really connect with these people um for the atmosphere to really be built um, so would you rather have it be longer um i would uh like would you rather have like an hour episode where you get to know like a person in the town I don't think I would want it to be longer. I think I would just want a... I just think I, I would want a different story. Ah. Uh, I think that just the story itself. Maybe um, if the film was called If Beale Street Could Talk, Burning, and... Uh, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> Something else. I like those movies. <laughs> oh, that's a trilogy. I'd, yeah. I'd dig. <laughs> um, yeah, Andrew Garfield, I think, is 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 good. Um, I think Rebecca Hall is good. I don't particularly find, I don't think it's her fault. I don't, I did not find her character particularly interesting. Um, I didn't find the show particularly. What about her breakdown? Uh, is her breakdown, is that when she's sitting in the bedroom? She's standing there and, um, I think this is the second time they meet and he's asking her like pointed questions about her daughter. Mm -hmm. And, um, she starts having an emotional breakdown Mm -hmm. and she's, 
basically doing her full Re- Rebecca ability where she's trembling her lips her eyes are crying or it's just I, I don't know yeah her yeah. as a performer is everything to me she's what makes uh, Joel Edgerton's The Gift a legitimately mm. great film yeah I, I I don't blame her nor do I blame Andrew Garfield I just wish that these characters had struck me as more interesting I don't feel like the show was terribly interested in her grief as a mother I think it has no, it, uh, I, I think the novel was more interested about introducing her as a love interest and then killing her mm-hmm. but, but and then to add more weight to her death you, you know as a as a writer you want to attribute more value to her mm. so you make her the mother and then you have the husband mm. also kill himself then you have yeah. her also sleeping with sean bean and then you have sean bean kill her and andrew yeah. garfield still you, you, i i don't know to me that's just a great detective story yeah, I mean, that is one thing that's frustrating about noir kind of in general. I think that's something that's probably always been a little problematic about noir is just how it kind of handles its women characters. But I think it is, for me, it was just pretty repeated here that I don't think the women get a lot of interesting stuff to do. I thought Helen um, was very interesting in which the one? second installment, Helen. Uh, is that, that's the co-worker yes. of the lead detective. Um, Who gets an abortion from a murderer. Yeah, but... Is taken to her abortion appointment with her murderer. Yeah, I wish they had just felt more, like, well... Or, like, with fully lived-in people than just um, characters with whom the dudes kind of relate. I mean, most of them... I think most of the women are either there and end up sleeping with one of the other detectives. Um, or, or grieving in some way. But I don't know that the grief just really felt that empathetic to me um yeah i i uh i don't know that it even made much sense to me in the second one why what's her name helen mm-hmm. um why she was brought on that that uh lead detective had had a relationship with her um what, what was the point of him even inviting her on board when it would well, I believe so that the be statement was that it, he wanted the best, the best dude, the best people you think for the job you can have. You can have two people, and yeah. I think that he chose the best two people. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there is definitely a truth to when you work in an environment and you already would find someone sexually attracted and they're good at their job that you're going to be attracted mm-hmm. to them because mm-hmm. you, if you're doing the same job and they are good at it, then you already find that. Like, you already understand that role, so whatever they're doing is attractive innately because they're successful Mm. at it, right? This is why we see people that go to college together and take the same classes end up pairing up and coupling. Mm. Normally, they're people that are attracted to each other because they're talented at something, and that Mm. talent is sexually viable to us as people. Mm. Like, like we, we just innately find something like that attractive. And I didn't get the sense that it was anything negative it was just like these are the two people that he feels confident in as detectives and I think that both of them proved to be very talented detectives in the story itself I I would say that the novel innately gets reduced by having to be visualized because you have to choose a main Mm. character that you have to gravitate around and detective stories written by men are almost always going to navigate around Mm. men. Even JK Rowling, when she writes detective stories, uses a male character and then has a female kind of as the actionable, um, Holmes or or rather Watson to Holmes. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, in the Cuckoo's Calling and those yeah. uh, sequels. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, th- that makes sense that uh, men would write a story about, s- s- you know, more particularly focused on men, but it just doesn't mean that I'll necessarily like it that way. Yeah, no, um, no I'm just trying to talk about, like, the practical truth of this, because it is a... Yeah. A detective story that's celebrated in England. It's a quadrilogy, as far as I understand it. Uh, quadrilogy? What does that mean? Uh, four. 1970, mm-hmm. 1974, 1980, 1983. Are the books. Oh, the books. Yes. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I would maybe disagree that she was invaluable to the investigation. I don't know that she was written to actually contribute anything particularly valuable. Um she is, you know, present in the rooms and she's given the particularly, like, challenging year of the case. But I don't feel like she was ever momentous in, like, pushing the investigation forward. Um, I can kind of accept him as a flawed protagonist who invites her on board because of her skill, um, despite knowing that there might be a problem when people find out that he had a relationship with her. No, um, I, so... One thing that I want to make sure that I communicate is I agree that the women are undercut in this narrative. I think it's on purpose, and I think it's to show Mm. how patriarchal um, Mm. the old England was and how it's still, quote-unquote, alive in the North, Mm. right? That's what we get in the third one, the the continuous supercut of the cheers to the North. Mm. And it's these men that are controlling everything that are basically Mm. terrible, abusive child rapists and child rapist enablers pedophiliac enablers at the very least and they're terrible people but i i feel like that is a narrative um like i feel like he's attempting to say something about the problems Mm. by this narrative rather than attempting to perpetuate the problems yeah maybe where i'm coming out of right and i think i think the maybe it's a difference between intention and result well i think that could be the intention but if you know, if the idea is to expose the the consequence of of patriarchy, then I would probably want war time with for whom this is consequential, which which might be the women. Okay, um, then maybe you just want something that isn't the story. Exactly, it, well, yeah. and that's why I say like I don't know that this is bad. It just was one that I just I I just couldn't um, find my way into. Um, to me, I come back to that thing that, that they say in fourth grade when they're trying to teach you reading comprehension, read between the lines, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the reading between the lines is, right, Rebecca Hall is amazing. Everything mm-hmm. bad happens to her. She's a really strong female character, and then she's mm-hmm. killed off. Helen, really strong female character, written out. Um, why does our, our uh, in the second part of the trilogy, why does he get killed in the end? I'm pretty sure because of what she says to keep him on mm. the case um, with, with her difficult year. Like she finds out this important detail that he goes to um, address and then is eventually murdered because of pursuing that lead that she had attained based on mm. my understanding. And then the um, Catholic priest, mm. right? He's in that house with that um, woman who is um, emotionally inert, essentially, yeah. um, who, yeah. who lost her daughter. Then we have Sean Bean's wife, who is con- continuing the thing. Like all of these women to me were victims of yeah. really brutal, heinous shit constantly. And then in the the third film, it, it continues. Um, and, and we see how it's these men kidnapping these little girls and little boys and yeah. doing sexual acts on them 
underground and that it's um, basically the story of women and one boy who just happened to survive that are keeping this case going. And it just so happens that this guy was in the right place at the right time to successfully end this case. But like Maurice uh, or Morris, I I think they pronounce it Morris, but it's spelled Maurice because it's English. So yeah, whatever. Uh, Right. The, the only reason he keeps going on the case is because of, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Um, clairvoyant or something. Ah, yeah. Right. Like I, I feel like the women are immense to this case. And if you read between the lines, it's that they're constantly getting abused and underwritten and mistreated, but they are Mm. the only reason why the case is ever going to get solved because they're the Mm. real meat and bones of the structure of society. Yeah. I think I can understand that reading. I would just rather have, if the women are that consequential, I would rather them, I would rather not have to read between the lines. I think I would rather them be given more interesting things to do and read between the lines in terms of, um, what it is their emotional experience is here. I didn't even have enough time to really, um, understand them as people, um, because of them either crying, sleeping with the dudes or dying. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I see your point that the, the point here is the agony brought on the women by men um, I just didn't find this to be the, the way in which I would best like that idea expressed. Kind of like my problem with Capernaum. Or yeah. Capernaum. Or yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think I did like two the best, the second one of the three. I thought it was really narratively strong. Yeah. Um, for me, that's maybe, that's maybe where I, the, the cinematography brightened up a little bit, and I thought it was a little clearer, and I, I just was enjoying um, the look of it a little bit better. Um, what, what did you think about maybe the... I? It's hard to say visual communication, but it is largely visual, because it's not the plot specifically telling you how we come to see that Morris is actually not on our side. Right? Which guy like is Morris again? Uh, or Morris? Sorry. David Morrissey's character. Uh, the, oh, the fellow oh. with the glasses. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right? Be- because he's introduced as the first um, detective who's chosen mm-hmm. by our main character uh, in the second film. And then proceeds to basically... Like, I remember the first time we encountered him was like 10 minutes later in the movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I forgot if that was the guy that was supposed to be on our team or not. And I just yeah. thought that the way that the that it visually let us go like, oh, this guy's not on our team. Because I felt mm. like I was always on the team with our main character. I, mm. I don't know if that at least was true for you, but I think that that's definitely something that this film, or that these three films always did, is every time we're with one of these main characters, I feel like I'm always on their team and rooting mm. for them because they truly want mm. what's best. Mm. Yeah, well, I think I felt that way kind of up until a point with each protagonist, at which point some sort of maybe... Um, flaw or some kind of more anti-hero like quality is revealed and that and that kind of complicates your feeling i think in a good way um right like with uh the i wish i could remember names better i think it's patty considine who plays the lead detective in number two um you know i think i was very much aligned with him and on his side up until the point at which i started to question his judgment right yeah well 
I think that that's just good narrative, right? When we yeah, have I don't a, mean that in a bad way. When we I have mean, a detective who has thing. like a good moral compass and is on a case for good thing, and then has legitimate flaws, like yeah. our, our Bosch detectives, or, yeah. or you know, I I feel like any great detective, especially the series true detective, mm. is hinged on the fact that detectives are real people. They are yeah. flawed, but that doesn't mean that their flaws are mean that the person who committed the crime is by any means not guilty yeah. of crime. I feel like that's where that that's where detective narratives really live and die. Yeah, it, I I, de- I didn't mean to imply that, that, that I think that's a, a bad thing. I think I was just I usually felt I was on their side on their team up until a point at which I maybe be I maybe wanted I, I second guessed it a little bit. Okay. You know, I questioned um uh Andrew Garfield's drive for vengeance with his ability to just think clearly. Um, and I questioned the detective in the second film's judgment after seeing that he brought this woman on board. Um, I'm going to call my shot right now. Mm. Michael's going to give Under the Silver Lake a two out of five. Ooh, interesting. I'm calling it. Because he, is he a flawed protagonist? He's a flawed protagonist <laughs> who's a womanizer. Ah. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, we shall see. Yeah. TBD. So one, one small digression is mm. you love film noir. I do. How mm. did the first film not feel like film noir to you? With all the smoke mm. and the light. I did. And the I, flawed protagonist. And the, the blonde damsel in distress. Like, how was that mm. not noir? The legitimate question. I totally fair. It is very much in the noir genre, 100%. I think it just, to me, it just looks bad. It, I wow. just don't think it looks good. I think this is this is not disagree. 40s black and white, which I do very much like, but there is plenty of neo-noir that I think is largely on television that is very plot-driven and less about atmosphere. It lacks the hard-boiled lyrical dialogue. Agreed. And uh, is, is much... Um, uh, is is just excessively uh, gloomy. Um, I don't know. I mean, there is a... It's a fair point. Um, it's probably just kind of a, a distance with historical noir that helps a little bit. Um, were you thinking when you were watching that that this is a decade old? Um, when I watched this one, uh, I don't know if I realized when it came out, to be honest, okay. when I watched it. Um... Yeah, I don't feel like this ever, it, to me, just lacked the poeticism that I feel like I really connect with in some of my, my favorite noir. Um, Do you yeah. have a favorite scene in the whole trilogy? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, you go first while I think about it. Oof, okay. <laughs> well, my favorite scene would probably have to be Rebecca Hall scene, but if I'm not going to go to Rebecca Hall scene, I would have to say... The first introduction of the four love uh, little girl with swan wings on her, the way that we get that pan overhead shot, um, yeah. and we're not really certain of what it is. It's kind of murky, and then it, I, I believe it zooms in, or, or it, uh, they, they focus in. If they're not zooming in for focus, they just adjust the focus, and we see this little girl who has swan wings sewed into her back, and it's just fucking disgusting, and that really sets mm. the tone, I think, for the, the whole series. Yeah. 
impossible for me to argue with. I think this is taste coming into play. I mean, that that eventually becomes a part of the the critical process. I love detective um, stories. Lots of bias here. It's yeah. not going to be a four and a half for most people. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a three, three and a half. Just for unless you in love detective in true crime, then it's four and a half, five because there there mm. is a specific crime story about the middle of America that. Mm basically mirrors what happens in this trilogy as far mm. as a pedophilic ring from people in power manipulating yeah. and abusing children through um, legal systems mm. and then yeah. getting fake people to cover it up. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the, the the difference between a noir like this and some of the classic noir I do like does just have to do with how these don't, I don't know. At least, with, at least with regard to how like the the how the women are treated that I didn't like quite as much or didn't respond to as much is that these don't feel like them fatales to me. Um, Rebecca Hall uh, to me. I have to say, really, I don't. I don't know. She didn't. I mean, I am by no means any expert on the depiction of women in you know forties noir, but I do feel like they they usually retain their agency to some degree and are um, they feel more like. Um, vibrant um, yeah, I, people to I, there, there was definitely narrative through lines that this had to serve more than just being a work of art like I think that if any mm. film's job was to just be a work of art we would have seen something a lot different everything yeah. is about making this end point and I do think that the end point was not as eloquently depicted as it could have been they did not adapt the books enough they did not take enough liberty at the end Mm. to make it truly impactful yeah i i mean i think i did kind of like the narrative direction of the third in principle whereas i kind of think of the first two as two outsiders coming to the case from that outside perspective attempting to not only reveal the truth as to who's behind the killings but also expose the corruption that they come to um find and then the third one being Morris, Maurice, being on the inside, starting to actually have guilt. We start to get this process from the inside out of this coming and undone. And then, what's his name from Game of Thrones who played the king? Um, Sean Bean. No, no, no. Um, the king, he's king of the north, right? And then the, oh. the more chubby fellow who's the solicitor. Oh, he's from um, Game of Thrones too? Yeah, he is the legitimate king of... Oh. Uh, he, he was Cersei's first wife or whatever, or first husband. Um... I don't even remember what that shit's called. I want to say Waterdeep because I'm so deep mm. into Arya Salvatore shit, but uh, it's not Waterdeep. Um, anyways, he is the son of someone who was perpetuating the crimes of pedophilia in that underground mm. labyrinth, and he's the one mm. that descends into the labyrinth, mm-hmm. brings her back, and, and saves her and carries her out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, that is great, but that's great writing. Mm. The way that it all coalesced wasn't great visual storytelling i would agree it would be my complaint with the third one and i i did like it it's i still haven't logged it so i don't really Ah, know where i'm at i think it's a three and a half whereas Mm -hmm. the first two were four and a halves for me like they were just so ballsy and just flying by the seat of their their pants you know like Mm -hmm. you you just didn't know if andrew garfield was gonna live or die kind Mm -hmm. of at that end like you didn't know mm. what he was going to do if he was going to go on a killing rampage or run away and, and reevaluate and be an informer in the next one like I just didn't know what was going to happen Yeah. Um, and, I, and I liked that and I liked in the second one that I didn't 
know who was on my team and I didn't know what the teams were and I, I didn't know how mm. deep the rot went to quote yeah. the film itself or the book itself. Um, and I thought that there's great narrative storytelling happening in these films. It is probably best served as the quadrilogy that it was written in though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I responded in the same way. I just, I don't know that I see why it's, why it transcends the detective stories um that we've seen that we've seen elsewhere um like a true detective or or bosch um if i mean it's it feels fine to me but it feels it just doesn't feel different enough from a lot of those guys yeah i i think that it is missing a certain layer to the like it's almost like they should have shown us a girl getting apprehended raped and murdered but i don't want to i don't want to call for that but like that is maybe what von trier would have done that really would have made it impactful Mm. that bbc was not willing to do it's very funny you say that i i I almost said that myself and i I just couldn't quite articulate like why i think that 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 might have helped me but i think you're completely right that would visualize the the um um, the truth of what's happening right because when mm -hmm. we see stuff on the news that says like uh seven-year-old girl was raped and murdered like Right, we can we can take those two words and we can try to ignore them. They'll mm-hmm. be in our subconscious somewhere naturally. But if you were to be strapped down like Alex in A Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. and shown a little girl getting raped and murdered and who that person was that did that, yeah. you would very likely have to do something about it as soon as you were unstrapped. And there's probably a 50-50 chance that you commit a homicide. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, and, and I think that that's what the truth is about visuals is maybe we weren't being shown the visual truth enough. Yeah, yeah. But I also I, I don't know how you could negotiate that. It, it would be Von Trier, except the Von Trier, because he's the only person I've seen get away with murdering kids brutally on screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And with those lack of visuals, I think if the dialogue had maybe been a bit more lyrical for me. <coughs> that might have made up for it yeah um that's maybe but, adapted screenplay issue yeah because yeah. you can't take novel dialogue and insert it into a film yeah yeah i mean some of the, the the best noir for me is ones i can quote because of how sort of distinctive a line might be i don't know oh, that okay. i could uh you know pull something out here um but i'm definitely uh, more visual with my noir yeah yeah um makes sense Well, that is the Red Riding Trilogy. You want to get back on the court? And that's your agent. I want to get you there. But we are in a lockout. There are no actual games to watch. You think these fools, these rich white dudes, gonna let these sexiest sport fall by the wayside? This team's my family. I need us to be one big family again. Football is fun, but it don't sell sneakers. To move merch and inspire rap lyrics, they need your services. High Flying Bird, Netflix release, Soderbergh, my second favorite film of the year so far. Four and a half and a heart from me. Behind what? Climax. Ah, I think I did know that. That makes sense. By a wide gap? Uh, By a half a star and a heart. Got it, okay. But I haven't finished rewatching it. High Flying Bird, that is. Yes, or Climax. So on second viewing, it's swappable. By year end, who knows? Those things can move. Yep. 
that I expect DVD. both to be near the top ten. Yeah. So this was my favorite, uh, most anticipated film of the year. They got to stand firm. They got to hold their ground. Oh, they will. It's <laughs> no worries. It's important to revisit and just keep them fresh in your mind. Don't forget them. What did you think? You didn't rate this. You logged it with a heart, mm. I noted. You yes. watched it in 4K. You tagged it with the word Steven Soderbergh. Heck yeah. And love my, I love my tag. That's all I remember <laughs> that you tagged it with. I think there was yes. a third tag. Don't remember what it was. Yeah. Definitely positive on it. I just couldn't quite pick a rating because there were competing things going on in my head. Um, why not just start with the iPhone cinematography? I just did not care for it. Oh um, my god, it's so pretty. I love that I can see the skyscraper in the in the restaurant when they're eating in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I love that I can see the skyscraper in the back in perfect focus. That yeah. is so dope. It's like mm. real. It's like watching a real film. Um, I I love that shit. Yeah, I don't know. It to me, it's 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 unpleasant. It and was I'm so not... pretty. You didn't. Think I wish I felt that way. Oh man, mm. if, if Unsane is ugly on purpose, High Flying Bird mm. is pretty on purpose. Yeah, I wish I was in that camp. I just kept thinking to myself, this I don't think this is uh, particularly pleasant on the eye. Um, and the the creative angles, I think, were just too showy. I wish he had pulled it back a little bit. I think the the focus here, to me, is the wordplay. That's what I really responded to, and, and um, just kind of how um, there's an electricity between these performers. I think this is really whip-smart dialogue. Um, I I wish I had responded to the look of it more than I did. Oh man, um, when he's uh, in the beginning, right when he's been turned down for his credit card, and then they exit the restaurant and he's walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Some of those faraway shots of just walking him walk along, watching him walk mm-hmm. along, and then it, it like slowly pans and then ends up behind him and follows him as he proceeds up the sidewalk. Mm. Those are just some majorly complex shots that I just dig. Compositionally, yes. I think what he maybe puts in the frame is okay. It's just the iPhone itself. What about the color? That was your main complaint about Unsane? That was your main complaint just now about uh, the Red Mm. Riding trilogy? How do you feel about the color in this? Mixed. Mixed? At best. I wish I liked it more because of how much I like what's kind of going on in this movie. And I think that that kind of transcends some of these other things for me in the end. That's why the rating will probably be pretty high, to be honest. Um, Like, I should just say, like, I'm ranging more between, like, a four and a four and a half. Okay. But, like, I think... So you're reasonable. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I just don't think this could ever possibly be for a five, be a five for me. I I Um, don't ever see giving it the 96... Just because what you're saying, with the dialogue being so snappy and great, mm-hmm. I don't know that it's ever edited to truly achieve its greatness narratively. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say Moneyball also has this problem, where mm-hmm. while dialogue-driven and great, it it never capitalizes on it the way that maybe um, Any Given Sunday does from Oliver Stone, mm-hmm. um, which just a- achieves this dialogue back and forth between Cameron Diaz and Al Pacino that while it doesn't permeate the movie it is often enough that it just swells and and overwhelms Mm. the movie yeah yeah I mean I think uh you know I want people to use iPhones if that's what they only have access to like I don't think that should stop anybody from making a movie well think about the fact like by using an iPhone he has how much more money in his budget to get um Kyle McLaughlin yeah, it's it's true. It's just a matter of I think what any given person values in their 
movie going um, and how much of it is, you know, the money spent on an actor versus just uh, uh, the, the light and form and whether that's uh, what you look for. Um, so I know it's a stupid question, but I'm just going to clarify. You watched the whole movie, one sitting in the dark on a TV. That's correct. Okay. Did you not? Nope. I watched the full film mm-hmm. in my bathtub. On my Careful phone, what you say. Naked <laughs> in my bathtub like a normal person in the bath. Because it came out at midnight. I mm. turned that shit on. I already had the bath drawn. Boom. Mm. 12.01. I'm in the bathtub. I'm watching High Flying Bird. I make it one hour in. Mm-hmm. Water's getting a little bit cold. A little bit cold uh, on my toesies. Right. So, so I bail out. It's like 1, 101 a.m. Mm-hmm. Boot that shit up on my Wii U. Watch it on the tablet oh. on my Wii U. It's great. Boom. Put it on my Xbox earlier. Watch the first third on my Xbox. Mm-hmm. Looks even better and bigger. It translates digitally so well. It is... It is. Uh, I, I think that there has to be a new thing that we consider about this digital format where it's like, how mm. does it scale? Like, do these mm. movies scale? And do we find value in that? Should we find value in that? Mm. And I think that I do, and I think that I did Yeah, find value in the way that it scales. Yeah, I think the question is, should rather than should we value it, I think it's maybe to any given person, do you value it? Yes. To me, I do not. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> So if we are going to criticize film, and we're going to say that criticizing film is a quote-unquote service to the culture, mm-hmm. do you have to take into account how the culture views stuff as well? Mm. So even though you're not viewing it that way, what about you know, mm. 60% of the kids that are going to watch this on their iPad tablet or Android tablet or iPhone or Android phone? I think, in my opinion, I think they should be the ones to offer that perspective. I don't know that right, I want but, anyone but to you talk are, about any perspective other you than You are the own. critic talking on the microphone right now. I think everybody's a critic. I, I agree. I, I think that that's yeah. a, a valid thing. But we, when we're talking, I think we also have to think, like, how are people interpreting this art? Like, mm. are people watching Roma in the theater? Or when we're talking about Roma, or are they watching it in a home theater setting? Yeah, but I I personally just don't feel comfortable trying to, to pretend how I think other people might react to it. All I feel comfortable talking about is, is how, how I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't... Um, yeah. I, 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 I fear critics trying to speak for other people. I think what, what marks a truly great film is when everyone speaks for themselves and everyone seems to say, yes, this is a great film. That's the mark of a great movie. Agreed. But um, how else do we recommend films if we're not thinking about other people as well? You speak for yourself. And and, and, and you identify trends and, and whose taste I think you align with and yeah. um, who's who, who speaks about it poetically. I, I, and, I do think that there is a percentage of the process, though, where we do have to consider how other people are going to be incorporating a picture into their lives, right? Like when we went and saw First Man in IMAX. Mm-hmm. We damn well knew that the majority of people are not going to see First Man in IMAX that are going to see First Man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you you do have to scale how you talk about it. And, and I do think that th- this just merits that conversation again and, and being brought up again because it is, it is one of mm. those things that scales. It, it mm. just scales the way that I thought that Valhalla Rising scaled as a digital production. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, if I rewatch, I was about to say maybe we'll do it on the phone, but I just don't want it. I would rather see it on the big screen. <laughs> can I you almost had you me. Off for you. <laughs> I'll get you. Can you can we list the description of this episode as we talk about movies and Taylor takes a bath? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the title. <laughs> yes. Um, but so th- let's mm. let's dive diverge. Yeah, divulge. Work. Um, what do you think about the uh, allegorical conversation mm. that he's ha- um, having between globalism and uh, specifically the the globetrotters and the NBA and how um, Netflix is, is taking the place of the globetrotters and traditional cinema is taking the place of the NBA. What do you think about that allegorical conversation that Soderbergh's having? Yeah, I think he is is making a point that I don't know is a uh, revelatory point about, um, you know, the opportunity for platforms like Netflix or Hulu or Facebook to democratize how we consume certain things. Um, I just don't know, you know, as as a film, if it makes for that revelatory of, a, of an experience. Um I think he's making a valid point, but I don't know that it was one that I that I was particularly um, interested in or or found dramatically interesting. Um, but I think did you find it contemporary at least? Yes, but I am starting to wonder if Soderbergh is more interested in fads rather than trends. Um, he's he's very in the moment, but I'm also worried that he's maybe l- losing sight of what's universal. And rather in over in favor of what's just today. Interesting. Um, I think that he takes what's universal and then maybe addresses it through a fad. Because mm-hmm. I think that just because I'm making the statement of Netflix versus contemporary classic cinema formats, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that in ten years we won't be talking about like how, you know, the home system video game consoles are the the old way to properly play a video game and these new mm. fandangled handheld consoles that are offering the same exact hardware specifications mm-hmm. are the new way and and you shouldn't be playing a video game on a 10 inch screen you should be playing a video game on a 48 inch projector like I, I i do think that this is something that scales over time as universal quote-unquote truths change and mm-hmm. and i think that what's interesting is we're like i i would turn it back to another netflix title roma and I would say, okay, Roma, great piece of cinema, mm-hmm. right? It's a Netflix title, mm-hmm. and everyone that's ever seen it that that is in, in the know, I guess, or, or what I would call in the know, recommends seeing it in a cinema. And mm-hmm. it hasn't come out of our landmark, The Crest, since it premiered yeah. three months ago. Yeah, It's been offered there every single week continuously on repeat and is still selling tickets solidly. Yeah. So does that I, I i find it it and the film are like just because they're going out and doing this great solo thing mm-hmm. right like in the film it's this great one-on-one match or these three-on-three matches that are happening in vegas yeah right yeah. but then at the end they're they're just going back to the same thing that everybody loves right roma mm-hmm. is this this great thing that was a streaming title yeah but we all want to watch it in a cinema because that's the best way to do it so it to, yeah. to me, it, it's um, it's an interesting statement as, that has multiple layers as a film, and that I think will scale as fads and trends come in with time. 
Like, yeah. I, I think that yeah. it's something that can be interpreted differently in 2040 than it is now when we have, yeah. like, um, augmented reality uh, glasses on instead of normal glasses and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I just haven't quite decided yet what the statement necessarily is. If, if it's the idea that, you know, this story is kind of evidence of, you know, in this case, athletes being able to take power back from the players associations and you know the the owners to themselves in favor of a love of the game and being able to monetize it themselves um i personally the, don't think that's what it is then you then you go ahead well if you want to continue that's fine i, I just wanted to mm-hmm. say like i on reflection now that i've had so much time with it because yeah, i've had yeah t- at least two and a half weeks with it yeah i yeah. I, th- I think that it's more about andre holland as steven soderbergh than it is about the players because he essentially uses the players to leverage the system um, to keep the system giving as much as they're reasonably going to give away to the players Mm -hmm. still to the players right that's just like normal capitalism empiricism it's always going to happen when people make you money you're always going to have to give a little bit more than you want to give that's negotiations or compromise or whatever Mm -hmm. but the real thing is how Andre Holland skips floors to Mm -hmm. me and that's kind of Steven Soderbergh. Like he's he's mm. ascending this floor, and he's going. To me, he's going past his producer, mm-hmm. and he's going up a floor and getting more scalability over the projects that he wants to to be able to influence. Yeah, yeah. So and, you don't see, you, you don't see it. the film as as an <clears throat> endorsement of the platforms through which Andre Holland is threatening to kind of take power from no the i players don't as, as because to me yeah. those are just leveraging tools mm. from what's proven to be scalable over time mm. to to create a profit for these kids because yeah. i mean at the end yeah. of the day the best thing for these kids is that profit because we do see how <clears throat> important it is to those communities at certain mm. points in, in the film when there's like the one-on-one pickup match at mm. that spot like to me that's that's the truth of it yeah i don't know but to me the, the this point comes pretty uh clearly that what's most important to these you know real basketball players as they're um being interviewed in those black and white shots is that what's most important to them is sort of a love for the game and that we can we can take this back for ourselves at any at any point um and that you know you need you player or you um uh white dudes in power need to check yourselves because we have these other options and i think anyone who you know, doesn't think that that Netflix is is commoditizing you know the love for for art in the same way that um, an NBA association commoditizes a love for basketball. I mean, I don't know that I really see the distinction. I, uh, no, I would agree with that. That's a great yeah. point. I I think that there's an, an to me there's just another thing that I'm having happen where it's like while all of that is true, if money matters. And, mm-hmm. and I would have to say that in order to have this conversation, we have to agree that at the end of the day, money matters. That's how the film opens mm-hmm. with the restaurant, I believe, um, mm-hmm. when he hands him the credit card and they say, sorry, this doesn't work. And that's basically telling us like, okay, food is being taken out of their mouths. Yeah. Now it's, now you're losing something too. Um, you know, he takes his own money to pay for the the meal. Yeah. And to me that, that yeah. kind of is the fulcrum of, of the statement. Like, He's taking his money to pay for these kids who have yep. these dreams. 
right? Mm-hmm. And I would say that that his main character is kind of like those those doc um, those interview shots that we get. Yeah. Like he's just in it for the love. Mm-hmm. But he has to have the money to do it, which we also see because the issue in that scene is the loan that he took yeah. because he was being manipulated. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you have to have more money. And he's truly the only person that knows how the system is rigged. Yeah. And to me, that's kind of Steven Soderbergh. Like, he knows how the system's rigged and he wants to he wants to be a facilitator for these kids who just want to play mm-hmm. to make sure that they're OK and that they can play. And he wants to take care of it for him. But no matter what, he's always going to be stuck inside of a structure that he has to facilitate by using whatever leverage he has at his ability. And to me, it's about trying to become kind of a a stylist at leveraging things so that you can let these players play the game that they think that they just want to play for love. But that's not really the truth of it. But you don't want them to know the truth of it because then they'll stop Mm. doing it for the love of the game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think those are all fascinating points and most definitely the kind of thing I responded to. I don't know that the aesthetic choices really help illuminate those themes. I don't think the iPhone does it. Um, I don't know that in 90 minutes at dialogue of this pace um, is really helping to serve the thematic interests here. Um, it's just kind of maybe that what the, what's a little, what's holding me back is just kind of that, that, that issue of form and content meeting each other. And while I'm really kind of interested in those ideas, I wish it had just been a little clearer to me. Um, and maybe that's just that I watched it 12 hours ago and that'll just happen, you know, as I think about it. Um, but I, uh, felt that it just could have been illuminated a little bit more clearly. What's your favorite actor other than Andre Holland? Ooh, good question. I do think Kyle MacLachlan makes for a pretty shitty dude. Um, he was he had some uh, a stiff competition surprise. from Zachary Quinto. That's very true. Very true. Uh, what about you? Uh, I think I got to go with Beats. Nice. I liked what Zazie was throwing down from that hmm. first intro and into the limo where you're like, She's playing the game, playing the game. Yeah. Right? Because she's Andre Holland's assistant, no longer. Mm. Doesn't tell the girl who's running the commission that she's no longer the assistant. Then gives information to the commissioner. So she's like getting them to go against each other while she's got her own separate game going on. Just dribbling and circles she, around him. And then she starts sleeping with uh, with his player. She's good. I was a fan. Um, I think uh, the whole cast is definitely um, what I responded to, and I think everyone works well together. You know, it's just kind of that spark between people as oh, they're having the, this, the all kids this dialogue. Coach. I don't remember oh, yeah. his name, but the kids coach. Oh, man. Yeah. The kind of guy who I feel like I've seen in a dozen movies or <clears throat> shows, but I couldn't tell you his name. You just know his face when you see yep. it. Yep. You know just his like, voice. Oh, him. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got a strong screen presence. It's great stuff. I love this movie. You at least liked it. Which is good news Definitely. to me because you Definitely. did not respond as well to Unsane. I guess a lot better than Unsane. Definitely, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I there think we that's go. kind of our episode this week. Little, that's right. A little bit uh, of uh, divergence from cohesiveness, but hey. Good good variety. What, uh, what yeah. are we giving the folks next week? Next week, we will be discussing Happy Death Day to You. 
Greta with Isabel Huppert and Chloe Grace Moretz, who has been in the news lately. Yeah. And Biden with My Family, starring Florence Pugh. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.